Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Thanks for hanging out with me on the podcast, man. Uh, this is episode number 37 and I'm actually kind of pumped about this episode. I have hanging out with me today um, a guy by the name of Noah Rochetta and uh, Noah is a, a Buddhist and he's a he's a Buddhist teacher um, he's an author as well I think he's got three books out let's see if I can remember these the first is secular Buddhism the second is no nonsense Buddhism for beginners which is a great book I've checked that out personally and his latest is called the five minute mindfulness journal now Noah also has a really great podcast that I am a very faithful listener to and it's called um, secular Buddhism where um, he teaches mindfulness and um, what you might call the Buddhist philosophy. And what I like about that is, um, even though I don't carry the term Buddhist, um, that is the same way that I apply uh, the things that Siddhartha, also known as Buddha, said. I view them as a as a philosophy, as an ideology, and in that way, as you'll hear during the conversation, um, it marries really well with any kind of faith system, or even those that um, don't have a faith system at all that are that are just atheists. The um, the ideologies, the the things that um, Buddha taught. Um, are very applicable to life, and and I, 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 I'm just completely in love with them, while maintaining um, my um, my Christian faith. So I, I think you're going to dig the. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation that Noah and I have, and then at the end we'll talk a little bit more about, I guess, application. Now, in the meantime, you can find Noah online at secularbuddhism.com, and then his books are available at Amazon as well. And then the podcast, you just check out Secular Buddhism, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or wherever it is that you um, that you check your podcasts out. A couple of things before we jump into it, just real fast. Um, the the uh, podcast, the Black Sheep Experience, continues to be uh, really a labor of love for me. I, I love podcasting. I love being a part of the community. Uh, I could continue to use your help, and I can't emphasize that enough. Um, we don't do, uh, I don't do ads or um, promotional posts or, or those kinds of things really. So the way that I expand my audience is through your assistance. So if you haven't connected with the Black Sheep Experience, uh, it can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm present on all of those platforms. And additionally, if you would share on your social media stuff with all your friends, followers, whatever, um, that you listen to the podcast or that the podcast exists, that would really be a big deal. And I would so greatly appreciate your help in that way. Uh, 
Yeah, so if you could do that, man, that would be huge. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump into what I think is really a great conversation um, with secular Buddhist author, podcaster, Noah Reschetta. Welcome to the Black Sheep Experience, and um, I am really excited about uh, the conversation I'm going to have today because, as many of you know um, from the past oh half a dozen or more podcasts, I've really gotten into um, the ideas taught by um, by Buddha, and so today I have uh, I, I'm going to say an expert and. Uh, in uh, Buddhism, really, and it's uh, a good friend. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Noah Rochetta. Thanks for being with me, man. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Yeah, dude, I'm uh, I'm really glad to have you, man. I um I have been a fan of your podcast. So Noah's got a podcast called Secular Buddhism, and um, let's talk about. Uh, you know, let's start off a little. Well, you've got a book called that too, right? Yeah, yeah. My first book was Secular Buddhism. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about a couple of things here. First of all, um, from what I gather, based on listening to the podcast, um, you didn't come from a family that was Buddhist. This is something that you integrated into your life um, of your own choice. Can you give a little bit of the backstory on that? Sure. Yeah, that's right. So um, I had an upbringing in, in, a, in another faith tradition. And as an adult, I, um, I started to question uh, my, my beliefs and, and kind of went through a phase of a lot of uncertainty. And during that stage, was um, I was kind of looking for something and I had always been interested in meditation, but the more I studied meditation, like where it comes from, why does it work, how does it work, the more I kept encountering the um, tradition that meditation comes from, and uh, and that's what led me down the path of studying Buddhism. And the more I studied it, the more uh, I enjoyed um, the concepts and the teachings I was encountering. But it was important for me, especially at that time, to study it from the perspective of uh, being a life philosophy I wasn't interested in in the religious aspect of it and the irony is the, the more I studied it the more I realized that in its very nature it is it is very much a philosophy if you want to practice it that way and it integrates pretty well with any faith tradition or non-faith tradition uh, quite well and, and that was important but that's that's why when I first started presenting these concepts, I used, um, you know, the, the expression of secular Buddhism, but it's a, a little bit of a misnomer because uh, Buddhism can be approached in a very secular way without having to say secular Buddhism, but a lot of people don't know that. So by saying secular Buddhism, it was more inviting to people um, who were interested in understanding Buddhism, but without feeling like they were abandoning their specific faith tradition to do that. 
Yeah, so I think that's one of the things that um, originally inspired me to seek you out. Um, I was looking for... So, I mentioned to you earlier, you know, my my background is... is uh, pretty hardcore Christianity. Um, I was a pastor for a long, long time, and I'm still, you know, a member of that faith, um, I I guess, practice. But um, I begin kind of an exploration, and and a lot of the things within my own faith started to deteriorate. Some of the things that I had believed in before, I I, I certainly don't believe in anymore, yet my, my pantheon is still the same. But one of the things uh, that I dove into a little bit was Buddhism and discovered that there's a lot of people that do practice, uh, or I guess, it, I guess t- it is fair to say that there, there is a religion that is centered around um, who some practitioners believe Buddha to be. But it's also, there's just as many of those who really do just view it and practice it as a philosophy. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, especially here in the West. I mean, it's it would be unfair to say Buddhism is, is, is not a religion because it certainly is and can be practiced as one, but it's a non-theistic religion. Um, so it, uh, it has that flexibility to be able to incorporate a lot of its practices or teachings with a theistic religion. Um, but like if you go back East and study... Buddhism in, in Asia, in Japan, or in uh, you know in, in Southeast uh, Asia, it's very much a religion, and, and would would seem to be incompatible with any other religion. And I think a lot of times what, what we're experiencing there is it's become a, a such a cultural thing that the culture of Buddhism may not mix well with. Uh, a, a cultural approach to Christianity in, a, in another part of the world, so it would seem incompatible. But doctrinally, there are not um, there, there's really no reason to say, "Oh, well, if I believe this or that aspect of Buddhism, that's not going to work with this or that aspect of Christianity." That's not entirely true. I think there is a lot of uh, overlap that can happen, and I see that a lot. I, I know a lot of Christians who who have incorporated mindfulness or uh, other aspects of Buddhism into their contemplative practice within their faith tradition. Yeah, one of the things that you've said uh, in, in, uh, you know, or you say really almost on every every, uh, podcast is um, don't use the um, ideas of Buddhism to become a Buddhist, but use them to become a better whatever it is that you already are. Yeah, I, I like that quite a lot. So, uh, in your mind, those concepts obviously can be used in any faith practice or uh, a practice that isn't faith-based at all. Yeah. In fact, I would say uh, the biggest obstacle to practicing Buddhism is Buddhism. Uh, it's, it's identifying with Buddhism as something other than what it actually is. And as strange as that sounds... Um, that the idea that really I'm just trying to be a better whatever I already am is to me a more appropriate way of practicing Buddhism so in that sense it would be like the, the better I am at applying Buddhist teachings and concepts the better I will be at 
being a whatever I already am. And um, and I think that's important to highlight. That's why I mention it in my podcast. Because as you study and start to understand a lot of these ideas, you do realize that uh, the goal of it is to not separate yourself whether it's through a label or an idea separating myself from you like oh you're a this oh I'm a that mm. it's, it's recognizing oh we're actually a lot more similar than we thought and I think sometimes by holding uh, the idea of, of being a Buddhist um, as the important part of it uh, has the opposite of effect because now it's like oh well if I'm a Buddhist you're not a Buddhist there's separation but if I if I understand that me being a Buddhist means I'm not a Buddhist, I'm just me. I don't have that sense of separating myself from you and your beliefs. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that that's one of the things that, um, you know, there's a, it, within Christianity, uh, there's obviously a huge tribe mentality. And so um, on my own, so, some of my own social media platforms, uh, I will post uh, quotes from uh, the Buddha or Siddhartha and um, you know not too often anymore but in the beginning I would get a lot of blowback like so what's up dude are you a Buddhist now and uh, like well why, why do I have to wear a label to like something that someone said you know so yeah, yeah those, th- those, those things I find a little bit frustrating but for me one of the things I found is that the teachings of Buddha um, they don't in any way really conflict with, uh, and I'm talking about the, you know, the basic teachings and um, of Buddha. They don't conflict with my Christian faith in, in any way whatsoever. In fact, I think that they develop an even greater roadmap to how one would want to exist in this world. Um, you know, it's funny because my original interest in in um, Buddhism came from listening to Eckhart Tolle who, I don't know if he's a Buddhist, but, you know, he quotes Buddha quite a lot. Um, and so in, in some of his teachings, he was saying a lot of things, uh, he was giving a lot of quotes from um, Buddha that um, were almost exact replicas of what Jesus said. And I found that to be so interesting. The similarities were so incredible that I thought, man, I've really got to dive in and see what this guy's teachings were all about. And so I I think that there can be a really a great deal of harmony between uh, those two faiths in particular. Uh, Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know it's one. Of, it's funny because um, I heard Eckhart uh, Tolle say, uh, and I've repeated this on the podcast several times. Um, he was asked about why he quotes Jesus so often, and he said, um, I, "I I love Jesus." He said, "I think Jesus had so many great things to say, and who has really understood them except for maybe a few Buddhists?" <laughs> I thought that was great, you know. <laughs> So let's dive in a little bit um, to the basic ideas um, of Buddhism, and 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 let's start out with this: what what is the thing that, or was there a central teaching in the beginning that really caught your eye, and and begin the the development or the interest? Was there something in the beginning that you thought, "Wow, I can really 
that really resonates with me. Yeah, I think the very first thing that caught my attention and, and hooked me right away was the nature of um, the overall um, goal or, or approach of Buddhism as an ideology is is very much directed inward, whereas most ideologies are kind of directed outward. And what I mean by that is, if, you, if we were to talk about this in the context of like questions and answers, uh, a lot of ideologies, including the one that, that I was in at the time, it's, uh, it's about the answers, right? You have questions like, well, who am I? What happens when I die? Um, the big existential questions. And these ideologies are focused on, well, here are the answers. And, and at that point, it's just a, it's kind of a, a comparison game of, well, does this answer make more sense or is this other faith tradition answer? Does that one make more sense? And that's what I'm trying to, uh, compare and assess. And then I encountered Buddhism. Um, looking for those same answers so that I could compare them to the answers that I thought were the correct ones that I already had. And it, Buddhism didn't give me those answers. It said, oh, uh, we're not really interested in the, an- in the answers. We're interested in the question. Why do you want to know? Uh, who, you know, what part of you, where does that need to know arise from? Like everything was directed back at the question. And that was my very first um my, my very first moment of intrigue with Buddhism was this is an ideology centered around the questions and, and, and gives more importance to understanding the question and, and very little importance to uh, ever arriving at an answer. And that was fascinating for me because um, I had never really spent time with a question or, or, or I had always... On a scale, you know, it's like, well, the important part of the question is arriving at the answer. So the answer is always the important thing. And, and here suddenly it was flipped on me. It was like, no, the most important thing is understanding the question. And that really fascinated me. That way of thinking was so foreign to me. So that was the first thing that stood out to me. It was like, you're not going to get the answers you're looking for here. What you are going to get is a deeper understanding of the source of the questions. Mm. And from that moment on, I was like, okay, I, I, I'd like to go down that ro- road. And I realized that also meant this tradition isn't going to conflict with the other one because if, if one is prioritizing the answers and the other one's not contradicting those answers or, or trying to replace those answers, it's just saying, well, what happens if we focus a little bit more on the questions? I didn't feel a conflict. I didn't feel like I was betraying one ideology to replace those answers with another ideology with other answers I was doing what you described at the beginning which was I'm starting to understand my own answers more because I'm understanding my questions more and that was important for me and that's really what hooked me with this uh, with the Buddhist approach which was exploring the questions I love that I love that you know one of the things that has brought uh, so much comfort to me is that concept that you're talking about um and and i've integrated that in so many ways in my life particularly like if i get upset about something um i take the focus off the, the the event or you know the object of of what has upset me and i i i'm now able to ask myself well why why does this upset you um, are, are you sure that this really upsets you? Do you really care, uh, you know, about this? If you think about, it, do you really care? And it's amazing to me 
when you begin to peek, and you mentioned this once before in one of your podcasts about peeking behind the curtain. When you when you peek behind the curtain, you realize, you know, I I actually really don't care about this. I'm not sure. This must be a trigger, or there's there, you know, there, there's there's some reason here uh, for me being upset, but it isn't because I actually care. And you start to diffuse yourself from, you know, behind the curtain. And I think that we we you know, a lot of times we're 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 only looking at like the answer, and sometimes the answer isn't located. Uh, as as silly as this may sound, within the answer, sometimes the answer is located behind it. You know what? What? Why, why are you upset? Why does this bother you? You know, um, are you sure that you're really jealous right now? Are you sure that you're, you know, why are you mad that the stoplight is taking so long? Does it really matter? And and when you begin yeah. to really look at some of those questions, they really start to kind of break down some of the silliness that just becomes reactionary responses to things that don't really matter. And I love that about Buddhism. That's one of the things I've really learned from that, is to have introspection. Yeah. Yeah. So, And, and I think it's important to mention, you know, for anyone listening um, that that is, is very content with their, with their Christianity, for example, how powerful of a tool this can be to increase that you know that approach like um when we talk about prayer right where where prayer is typically our expression in in hopes of hearing an answer right that's usually why we're praying and we want we want god to speak to us or to answer or to give us something that we really feel that we want and buddhism could come in as a tool to increase the effectiveness of prayer by helping us to understand our part of that conversation where why do I really want this? What What do I really want? Like maybe discovering and peeling those layers and realizing, oh, I thought I wanted this, but what I really want, you know what I mean? And that could make it a more effective way of praying because we're more mindful of, um, of, of what we're praying for. Yeah. You know, what's funny about that, uh, um, since we're on that subject, is I think, too, one of the things you find out in Buddhism, and we'll, we're going to get to that in just a moment, is, um, you know, one of the reasons that you have suffering is because you have a craving for something that um, is never going to be. You know, maybe you want someone to be a specific way and you keep praying that they're going to be that way or you want a specific job and you keep praying for that job but that person's never going to be that way or that job is never going to come into fruition. And so what that's one of the things I've learned so much through Buddhism is why am I always praying for all this crap? <laughs> you know? I'm always asking for stuff and and instead learning to I guess embrace um this really this beautiful thing that life is and and life really is beautiful and we spend so much of it in uh unfulfilled desire or wanting um cravings that that really I think steal the joy of existing, um, what, 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 do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think about um, you know the evolution of of prayer for me in, in those early days of, of, of encountering and studying Buddhism. And I remember feeling at, at one point 
this feeling of, I don't think there's anything left for me to ask for. All I could feel was gratitude. Mm. Gratitude for how things are. And I remember, I remember that moment of, uh, somewhat of contentment where it's like, you know, this is just how it is and I'm very grateful for that. And that was a, a powerful shift, um, that, uh, I, I, I've tried to maintain ever since then just this, this sense of constant gratitude for, for how things are. And if anything, wanting to, um, make sure I, I don't forget that. Yeah. You know, in, in, in Buddhism, we talk about, uh, suffering arising the moment we want things to be other than how they are. And this is what you just alluded to, you know, whether it's a job, uh, or, whatever the thing is that we want it, what makes it unpleasant or, or difficult is isn't that we don't have it it's that we it's that we don't have what we want it wouldn't matter what the thing is um and i feel the the buddhist approach is like saying okay well then let's let's spend time with that why do you really want this because what you may find is that it's not what you thought that it was it's something else and whatever that something else is that actually may be workable and you may be able to do do something about that, um, and I think that's that's important to understand and helpful to understand. I do too, um, man. We could go on about that forever. I and I think that that's really, I think that that is the gold of of, of life, really. <clears throat> and and I think you see that with so many, um, you know, you you see a lot of. Um, rock stars super uh, movie stars whatever they work their you know they sacrifice themselves completely for their dream and then they get their dream and it's unfulfilling it's not what they thought it was going to be and i'm and i'm sure we all have that you know well we got the girl or we got the job or we got the car or we got the whatever the thing is and then you know a month later you realize oh geez you know the insurance is killing me or, you know, all those kinds of things. And so it doesn't bring the fulfillment that you thought it was when a lot of times fulfillment is just found in the very existence of being, you know, in the moment. And I, I know that, that that's called mindfulness and I hate the fact that there's like this huge label for it, but because I think it's deeper than the practice of mindfulness, I think it's the... uh I don't know. I, I, I guess the the true presence of being here now, you know? Mm-hmm. So so let's talk about the, the concepts of Buddhism. Let, let's begin with the four noble truths. Um, let's talk about um, what that is and then what each one of those are. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so... One of my favorite ways to talk about this, and this comes from uh, Stephen Batchelor, who's uh, a, a Buddhist scholar, or, or a scholar of Buddhism, I should say. And uh, he, he translates the concept of the Four Noble Truths as Four Noble Tasks. And I like, uh, like, like he does, I like thinking of these in terms of tasks rather than set truths. But this is at the core of all schools of Buddhism, the, the four these four concepts, these four ideas are the first one is that in life there is suffering, we encounter suffering and um, so he uses a, a helpful acronym to remember these four he he uses the acronym ELSA E-L-S-A so the first one is is 
as a task is embrace the moment of suffering because we're all going to encounter these, right? These are the moments you're at the red light and you don't want it to be a red light or you get the flat tire or you lose the job or big things. You lose uh, a family member or a loved one. Now, these are moments where we embrace the suffering that arises. So, so Noah, real quick, when we when we talk about suffering, I think a lot of times in the you know modern English vernacular, we're talking about agony or we're talking about you know uh, some terminal illness. But in Buddhism, suffering is how would you define that? It's much broader than that. So, how would you define that? Yeah, it would either be. I mean, we could use other words like anguish. Anguish is a good word. I think sometimes the word suffering has uh, a strange connotation where it's just viewed as this bad thing. But there's nothing wrong with suffering. It's a very natural thing that we experience. And like I mentioned before, it's just it's that thing that arises when we want things to be other than how they are. We all experience that from uh, moment to moment, right? Whether it's a minor thing or a major thing. At the end of the day, there's whatever emotion we're experiencing that could be pain, for example, but pain is not the same as suffering. Suffering is what arises because I'm feeling this thing that I don't want to feel. That's the secondary uh, aspect of, of what I'm feeling. Pain is on one level, and then that suffering that arises because of my aversion to the pain, that's the other thing. And I think that's important to highlight because in Buddhism, we talk about suffering a lot, but what we're really referring to is this secondary type of suffering that it's what's arising because of how we want things to be comparing to how things are. And that's something that's workable. We're not talking about natural suffering, which is, you know, I, I stub my toe and my toe hurts. And it's like, oh, I'm going to meditate that pain away. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about the, the frustration that arises because I stub my toe and now I feel like punching the wall. That, you know, if I can, if I can learn... <laughs> to put a gap between those two things, I may prevent myself from punching the wall and now experiencing a whole new level of suffering that arose because of my resistance to the first instance of suffering, which is that I stubbed my toe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I love that. So that can be, <clears throat> just for clarity's sake, that can be uh, such a wide array of things, but basically, like, uh, the concert I wanted to go to uh, the tickets are sold out. I can't go. That's that's a form of suffering. Um, all the way to I found out I have a terminal illness and I don't want to have the terminal illness. The suffering comes in in that wide gamut of things are one way. I don't want them to be that way, and and not dealing with the idea that that's the way things are. Is it? That's a little convoluted, but that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Okay, perfect. So go on, man. Um, so, yeah, we spend a lot of time in that uh, alternate reality, the one where this is how I think life should be, and because I'm I'm not willing to uh, just accept that this is how life is, uh, I'm exerting a lot of energy and, and experiencing a lot of discontent and anguish and frustration because these two realities don't match. Mm. <clears throat> and mm. that's what we're talking about with with suffering in the Buddhist context of suffering. Perfect. And that's the first of the noble truth. So 
the, the task associated with that understanding that in life there is suffering is that we can learn to embrace that suffering. And, and I want to be cautious with, you know, with the word embrace. That doesn't mean that you're going to like it. You don't have to like it. It doesn't mean you're going to, um, you know, think that it's okay now. It's okay if you don't think it's okay. <laughs> it's, it's just that I, what I'm going to learn is to embrace, oh, this is what I'm experiencing? Okay, right? Like um, a, a perfect example would be uh, you get home from work and you're in a bad mood because of something that happened at work. And like that moment of embracing would be the recognition of, oh, I'm in a really foul mood. Okay, I'm not, it's not, oh, I need to change how I'm thinking. Like, no, that might make it worse. All I'm trying to do is recognize this is how I'm feeling and painting that picture of, oh, this is my current reality. That's it. I'm mm-hmm. embracing that this is real and that's what I'm experiencing right now. That would be essentially that first uh, task. Perfect. Which then leads to, to the next one. The L is, um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so the L uh, would stand for letting letting go of the grasping. Um, the grasping is, one, you know, we talk about this is how things are, this is how I want things to be. So what I'm letting go of in that moment of recognizing, oh, this is how things are, I'm letting go of whatever expectation I just set up. I don't want to feel this way. Oh, well, what if I let go of that? I'm going to say, okay, then I, I'm just going to accept that this is how I'm feeling. I'm in, I'm in a bad mood. That would essentially be letting go of wanting to not be in a bad mood. Mm. Yeah, right? Right. So, uh, because the second of the noble truths is that, uh, the first is there is suffering, and the second is that there are sources of suffering. Um, And and so that's what we're going to start to try to explore. What are those sources of, of suffering that we're experiencing. Um, so we could also refer to that as the origin, the origin of pain or the origin of suffering, which leads us to the third one, which is the cessation of suffering or the cessation of uh, um, uh, anguish. So that, in, in the acronym of ELSA, that would be stop grasping. So... Mm. Just going through these again. The first one is letting go, uh, or no, sorry. E is embracing the embracing the instance of suffering when it arises. L is letting go of the grasping. S is stop grasping, or I, I think a little more accurately, it's it's see the stopping of the of of, of the grasping and. Going back to this analogy of I, I get home, I'm in a bad mood, I uh, let go of wanting to not be in a bad mood, and this is where I start to see the stopping. What happens when I when I see that? Well, what, the first thing that will happen is I recognize now there is now a separation of the me that's experiencing anger and the me that's observing that I'm experiencing anger, and is that observer also angry? And what you'll find is that it's not. The observer is always neutral, and I can see that I'm experiencing anger, but that doesn't mean that I am anger. I just, it's something I'm experiencing, and that, to me, is a very important 
distinction and recognition that what I'm experiencing is not me. It's just something I'm experiencing. And that allows me to have a space between what I, what I'm feeling now and what I'm going to do next. Mm -hmm. Which is where the fourth step comes in, which would be act, uh, act skillfully, I, 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 I might add. And in the Four Noble Truths, this is the, the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. Well, what, you know, the path is the, is the series of actions, the things that I do. And to me, this has been extremely helpful, where in that instance of being upset, I, and I notice that I'm upset now, suddenly I'm a little bit more skillful with what I'm going to do next. Am I ready to walk into the room where all the Legos are on the floor, and I might step on one and get even more angry? Or am I going to be skillful and say, you know, I'm going to just stay here in the kitchen, take a few deep breaths, maybe get something to eat, uh, maybe recognize that being hungry is part of why I'm in a bad mood. You know, suddenly I start doing things that are a little more skillful, which are going to lead to more skillful acts that don't spiral me in one direction, but start spiraling me in this other direction. And before I know it, my emotions have passed and I'm in a better mood and, and I'm acting skillfully all because of little actions I was able to do along the way because I was observing. <laughs> does that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely it does. So so we've got, um, you know, life is suffering, essentially. Uh, there's going to be things that happen that we don't want to happen. And that's, that's the reality. That's going to, that's going to happen. Um, and so, too, is, is what, embracing that that's the way life is, or... Well, that's, that's still technically, that's number one, recognizing this is the nature of reality. In life, suffering arises. We're all going to experience it. Okay. That's all part of number one. Number two is recognizing there is an origin to the suffering, the, the cause of suffering. What is that cause? So between number two and number three, they go hand in hand because they realize if there's an origin and I understand the origin, then there can be a cessation to the cause of suffering. Ah. And, and, and this is kind of the tricky part. You're not ending suffering. What you're trying to end is the causes of suffering. Yeah. Because number one, we already said suffering is there. It's always going to be there. So I'm trying to understand my causes of suffering and act skillfully to minimize, reduce the causes of suffering that arise for me as I'm going throughout my life. Okay. And so that leaves us with what? Number four? <clears throat> yeah, number four is the path that leads to the cessation of, of suffering. Okay, so, <clears throat> and we'll, we'll talk about those real quick too, because uh, I know where we're headed. But let's, let's talk about a, let, let's create a fictitious scenario, okay? So mm -hmm. you and your, and your uh, significant other, uh, you've got a date planned. You did the right thing, right? You made their dinner reservations. You the whole thing. You show up and uh, no reservation. Mm -hmm. Whatever you know, you made it, but it the the person uh, didn't care enough to write it down, and you're not getting in. You're sorry, we're booked, and and, and you're not getting in. Now you're going to be upset. But what's the process here? Because you're, you're not getting in. There's nothing you can do about it. So tell me, let's talk about it within the confines of that 
of that fake scenario? How does that? How do those truths work there? Okay. Now, keep in mind, this is always it's always easy to talk about and much trickier to apply when it's actually happening, right? Right on, so, right on, absolutely. It, it, it could be that I, I experienced this scenario and maybe deconstruct it after the fact, after. <laughs> After I get home and realize, oops, I probably shouldn't have said that to the <laughs> restaurant staff or something like that. Good point, right. Now, ideally, the goal is that at some point this is all happening. It, be, it just becomes a natural way of how you experience life. That's the goal of it. That's why we practice and practice and practice. So that as it's happening, you are reacting skillfully to the scenario as it's unfolding. So in this example, I show up at the restaurant realize I'm really upset because I can't get in. You know, the true source of my suffering in that moment is that this is how it is and this is how I want it to be. Those don't match. I'm experiencing that discontent. And what I could do in that instance um, is recognize, okay, why am I really upset? I mean, what is really behind it? I may discover that, oh, I'm really upset because... uh, I don't know, just using as an example, maybe my spouse always thinks that I, uh, you know, that I I can't get things to work properly. Every time we uh, book vacations, I always get something wrong. And so somewhere deep inside of me, there's this sense of feeling uh, inadequate uh, and and somewhat, um, somewhat unhappy because I can't get things to work the way that I want them to work. And maybe that is a deeper sense of the discontent I'm feeling is that I feel like I'm being judged right now because I failed at making this reservation. That is actually causing me more suffering than the fact that the reservation didn't go through. If that if that if I could see that and understand that underlying thing, then maybe having recognized, hey, sorry, we didn't have a reservation for you wouldn't have been a big deal. But it is a big deal because there's an underlying thing that causes me even more suffering than the fact that I didn't get into the restaurant. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm trying to identify all this while I'm experiencing this really strong emotion of sitting there at the restaurant and being really upset. And like I said, it may not happen there. It may happen later. And even if it happens later, that's fine because um, what I'm doing in at this point, seeing the stopping of my reactivity, I'm essentially... Uh, putting a gap or uh, uh, removing the link. Imagine a chain, right? And it's link after link after link. Well, that's how our actions are. This happens and I react. Because I react, they do this. Because they do this, I do that. And that's just a chain that goes on and on and on. So I'm at the restaurant, I'm upset, and, and as all this is unfolding, if I can see, oh, this is why I'm really upset, suddenly I put a little gap there in that link, in that chain. And I say, okay, instead of continuing down this direction that I was headed, now we're going down this other direction, and I'm acting a little bit more skillfully than I would have had I not put a gap in there in that chain of reactivity. Mm. And again, whether that happened at the restaurant or it happens four hours later when I'm at home after throwing a big tantrum at the restaurant, even if it happens then... Well, I just learned something about myself that allows me to act more skillfully moving forward. So with time, the more and more skilled I get at this process, the more and more skillful I'm going to handle situations involving understanding myself and others and life in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the reality is you're, 
<clears throat> if you know the situation is a specific way, the for instance at the restaurant, and it's not going to change, your anger, frustration, um, uh, ill-worded phrases, none of those things are going to change the circumstances. Um, you're still going to be disappointed. Uh, you've just prolonged that disappointment, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I think, you know, if you can say, okay, this is the way things are. I don't want them to be this way, but this is the way they are. The What the cessation or the, the end of suffering would be to say, um, the best thing I can do is accept that this is the way that it is. And what? find an alternate plan um yeah or i mean we, we've all experienced this feeling of being in a situation that later on in the day we were replaying it and we deconstruct it and suddenly we're like oh i should have said this or i should have done that suddenly you realize these options that would have been more skillful in the moment we couldn't think about it because we were so caught up in in the emotions yeah so this is essentially like we're trying to train ourselves to try to be able to do that more in the moment. And I like to call this the what we're developing essentially is the wisdom of adaptability. It's how fast can you pivot when life throws something new at you? Mm. And I use this analogy a lot with, with life as a game of Tetris. And this is what I mean by that is that in life, it's like we're playing the game of Tetris and Tetris throws shapes at you that's the whole point of the game and it's seeing how fast can i take this piece and maneuver it and, and pivot it to make it fit into the game i'm playing and it happens fast because then the next one shows up in the next one and it gets faster and faster and and then eventually the game is over and i think that's a lot of like how life is we're just we're being thrown all these tetris pieces and it's not to say that you're playing it wrong I mean we all play it until we're not playing it right we all live until suddenly life is over and, and, and the game is over so the, the the object then could be what if I could make this game a little bit more enjoyable by becoming more skillful at how I play it and here I am at the restaurant and here comes this new Tetris piece nope you didn't have a reservation okay here's the moment of the pivot how quickly can I say oh okay, well then this is the new scenario. This is the new shape that showed up for me. What can I do with that and, and be skillful with what I'm going to do and say next to try to, to try to be ready for whatever's going to show up after that because I start to realize that the whole point of the game is, is to be on my toes and to be able to, to handle whatever life is throwing at me skillfully because, uh, sure, I'm going to feel upset because I didn't get to get go into the restaurant. I didn't get to accomplish what I had set as my plan but the point wasn't to not be upset it's like sure I'm upset but at least I know I am upset but what can I do next that's more skillful because eventually that emotion I'm experiencing will be will pass and it'll be replaced by some other emotion because that's the name of the game right just like Tetris pieces that come and go our emotions are coming and going my thoughts are coming and going all of my experiences that I'm having they're all just things that are coming and going and I'm trying to be very effective in my ability to maneuver and and pivot the moment life throws something new at me yeah i like that you know the the one of the the things that first hooked me um is uh so i i decided i wanted to dive into buddhism so i went out and i bought this book 
And I, I think it was called Zen for Dummies or something like that. It was one of those kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, and the first thing they presented was the Four Noble Truths. And um, the concept of, the first concept was, you know, life is suffering. And that that immediately hooked me because I think that I was probably going through a lot of my life, and I'm 50 years old, so I, I wasted a lot, of time, a lot of time doing this, but I went through a lot of my life thinking uh, a little bit of a poor me type thing, like, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, you know, life isn't fair, which it's not, um, and... Uh, Oh, I wish this was this way, or I wish this was this way, and, and going through a lot of those kinds of scenarios. And then when I read that, it, it deeply resonated with me. Oh, wait a second. You know, um, it, it, it isn't fair for anybody. And everybody has things that they wish were different. And life is always going to have elements of it that I wish were different. And so somebody listening might say, well, yeah, duh. I mean, we all know that. And I know we all know that, but I don't know that we all accept that as a deep, essential, noble truth. I I think a lot of us go through life thinking, um, you know, one day things are going to be, everything's going to be, you know, perfect and right. And the reality is everything external of us, I think, is never going to be perfect and right. But we can find a place of, and I don't even know what the word Zen actually means, but we can find a place where internally peace and uh, contentment, like you mentioned, thankfulness, gratitude, those can become inherent attributes that exist within us. Is that, am I... Am I making this too grandiose, or is that sort of the way to, I, I guess, contentment or happiness? Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think it's too grandiose. I think that's exactly the case. We're trying to develop a way of living where those things arise naturally, where without practicing what's been natural for a lot of us for so long is just a state of reactivity. And this happens, and here I go on my on my train of reactivity Mm. and it's become so normal that I just think that's how it is and a part of it could be as simple as I've never paused to ask wait a second what is the nature of this game that I'm in what is the nature of life and by doing that you know you suddenly have this shift using the game analogy again it's like oh I've been playing life as if it's a game of chess a very calculated game where I do this and it's supposed to respond with that and when it does that, this move counters that, and I've got it all figured out. And the problem all along was just, no, you, you guessed the wrong game. Life is actually Tetris. Um, because I think at a superficial level, like you said, most people will say, well, duh, I know that I'm going to experience uh, dissatisfaction or anguish or suffering, if we're going to use that word, in life. I, I get that. I know that. But the difference is a lot of people are hearing that and also thinking, but I'll figure it out. Uh, You know, when I finally get this, then this feeling will go away. Or when I finally achieve that, you know, like somewhere in the back of our mind, there's this erroneous way of thinking that, yeah, there is suffering, but I'm going to be the one who figures out how to avoid it all finally. By finally, by getting the things that I want and avoiding the things that I don't want, that's how I'm going to figure it out without 
somehow without realizing no, no none of us will ever figure it out we're all going to experience this off and on our whole lives that's just the nature of it yeah you know that sounds i know it sounds silly but it's actually really profound um i i've been married for 23 years and um you know everybody tells you well you know as you go through life you will change and your spouse will change and you know one of the ways to be uh, have a lasting marriage is to accept that person throughout the entire path of their life you know as they change you accept that this is who they are now um and and that sounds like oh okay well yeah of course obviously but then (laughs) when they do change you're like wait a second why are you this way now you know this isn't and what i've have one of the things i've discovered is you know yeah that that actually happens people actually do change the way they think or feel or the, the um even the hobbies that they may have and so life is the same way right like um where you live changes your your house is going to change your physical body is going to change and instead of resisting that change learning like you said learning what the game really is that can create its own kind of peace and harmony that uh, that I think a lot of people don't experience. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So I, I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but can and I know this is you can't explain Buddhism in an hour. I, I get it, but the fourth noble truth is the is the path to the cessation of suffering, mm-hmm. um, and that is. Um, you, do you want to talk about those? I, I know that we can't cover them all, but can we kind of talk about what they mean, right thinking, right action, all those kinds of things? Yeah, sure. Because this this is kind of the, you know, at least if you're, if you're asking what is Buddhism all about, this is kind of the nuts and bolts. There's, the Four Noble Truths kind of outlines the, the Buddhist worldview, so to speak. And then this is, okay, well, now that I know that, what's now what? It's like, well, that... Uh, a typical person that's following the Buddhist path is applying um, what we would call the, the Eightfold Path. The, these are the, the eight aspects of life that we're really trying to focus on and, and understand. And they are the um, the first one is is right understanding. The second one is right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration and then you could spend time in each one of those well what does that actually mean for example right understanding or also sometimes called right view is understanding the nature of life right this is understanding life is more like tetris it doesn't work like chess oh well the moment i under i have a more skillful way of understanding life is that in life things are always changing and 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 beyond that things are all interdependent right If, if if i do this um, it affects that. Well, that links me this and that. Uh, I, I'm not just here alive in a vacuum where, uh, you know, nothing that I do affects anything else. No, it's like, no, everything I do affects everything else. Well, then that gives me a sense of, of greater responsibility with my thoughts and words and actions because I understand that what I do influences everything else. Uh, so that's the first one, right? Understanding. And you could do this with, with each of these and go in depth. 
there's a you know right thought. Oh well, if I have a right understanding of the nature of reality, that starts to change the way that I think about things and about myself and about you and about life. And then that's going to affect my speech or communication, right? How I communicate with you or um, with my kids, with uh, my boss, my coworkers, whatever. Uh, that's going to affect how I act, you know, with with the life that I'm living. So there's action. Uh, then there's that. All of that's going to affect how what I do for work. You know, the, this is the difference of thinking. Oh, I guess it would be okay to be. Um, a hired assassin, right? It's like, oh, well, that's not just about you. You're affecting everything else, so you're going to start to be more skillful with, okay, well, maybe a better form of livelihood would be this other career path, a doctor, or I don't know. Um, which, And then the, the last three, effort. You know, having the right understanding of things is going to change the effort that I have for the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm not doing, what's really important. Uh, and that's going to affect the mindfulness, uh, the awareness that I have of things. And then, of course, there's concentration. That so it's like all of these areas interlink. So rather than thinking of this as okay, I'm going to master step one, then I'll move on to step two. It's like no, I kind of start working on all of them at the same time because uh, having a, a better understanding of things is going to change how uh, you know how I act um, or focusing more on developing the skill of concentration is going to make me more aware of things, which is mindfulness, which is going to change the effort that I put into things. Like, so all of them are constantly feeding off of each other. Mm. And that's essentially the, that's the Eightfold Path. That's kind of what uh, a typical person who's uh, practicing Buddhism, if, if we say that, if we call it that, it's, it's people who are focusing on these eight areas and trying to be more skillful in each of these things. Yeah, well, it's so good, man. Um, okay, that's so that's why I mean, if you if you hear these four noble truths and you hear what are these eight things, the eightfold path, you'll see in that there's nothing that would directly conflict with any other ideology, right? Like uh, all of these things could make me more skillful as a Christian or as a Hindu or as a whatever I already am or as an atheist. You know, like it can uh, none of this conflicts. Like this is a more skillful way of living, and I can't help but to think that well, that's just going to make you a better whatever you already are. I I, I totally agree. I, I absolutely love the the teachings of uh, Buddhism, uh, particularly I guess you know what we would call secular Buddhism for you know uh, it, it with due respect. So. I, you know, I, in one of the books I was reading on Buddhism, it's, it was talking about, you know, relieving suffering. And, uh, the author went so far as to say, you know, come to the realization that even, you know, animals have suffering. And so, uh, you know, each night before you put, you know, say you, you put the dog to bed or whatever, you know, make sure it knows it's loved. And, uh, it, just that whole concept of, um, relieving suffering, being more compassionate, right view, right action, right effort. It's really a beautiful, I mean, and I've said this to many people, I mean, it's really a beautiful ideology, quite quite honestly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so uh, before I let you go, I, I want to do a couple of things. Let's talk about <clears throat> um, the, the best way to connect with you 
And so I know you've got the podcast, you've got a great website, you've got some books. Let's let's cover some of that real quick. So what's the best way for people to connect with you? Uh, I think the best way is, is typically through the podcast, which is called Secular Buddhism, and the website is secularbuddhism.com. But listening to the podcast or visiting the website, there's, there's a way to uh, send me an email or, or reach out if it if someone wanted to reach out directly. Um, but I, I think the, the quickest way of trying to wrap your head around all these concepts is listening to the podcast or, um, or, or reading a book. Uh, there are several, several good books out there. I made, I wrote one that was, the intent was to give somebody a, a, a really high overview of an introduction to Buddhism. And that, that's, that book is called No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners. And that's, again, intended to be for anyone who wants to apply Buddhist teachings into whatever framework they already have. Um, so that I think that's a really good starting point for someone who just wants to understand all this. Like, what is all this stuff? Um, and the other one is the podcast. If you like these topics... Uh, you can listen to the podcast where I, I talk. I'll, I'll pick one topic and kind of talk about that roughly every week, every other week. Um, and th- those are two great sources to learn more about this stuff. Yeah, I um, went. Well, I told you I, I found you. Um, I was l- trying to dive into Buddhism, and I just jumped on iTunes uh, or the, the iTunes podcast thing, and and your uh, podcast came up. And I uh, learned uh, you were talking about the Four Noble Truths, and <clears throat> you had all of that stuff on there. And uh, yeah, the podcast is great, by the way, Noah. It's it, it's so good, man. I'm I don't know if there's monetary gain for you at all, but but in any event, um, thank you for putting that information out there. It's it is really a great podcast, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's just uh, something I put out because I enjoy it. Uh, but I am, I've been working on, and I'm going to be announcing it pretty soon, uh, on the community aspect of this, because that's something I've encountered all along. It's like, hey, these are all great concepts and ideas. Now I want to engage with other like-minded people who are trying to practice this stuff, and then they have to go out and just find a meditation center or some other uh, a Buddhist temple or something, and it doesn't quite fit with this exact approach, so... Uh, I've been working on developing uh, a community that will be online and that will start to change a little bit how uh, the work that I do with the podcast. But I think that's going to be the next step is giving people the opportunity to engage with and practice these concepts and ideas with other podcast listeners. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to that, man. I, I think I did. Did you mention something about that on the last podcast or the one prior to that? Yeah, I think I may have alluded to that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. And then you have, yeah, I, I apologize, I don't know this, but do you have two books, or do you have how many books do you have out right now? I have three. Okay. So my very first book was uh, it's called Secular Buddhism, and that one I just kind of uh, just did on my own. Just wanted to put a lot of this out in writing. Um, the second one, which I think is the best starting point, is No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners. And then the third book is the five-minute mindfulness journal, and that one's meant to be a little guide for actually practicing mindfulness. And it has uh, it, it, it's like a journal where it prompts you, and you can write in it. And 
uh, as a way of practicing. Nice, yeah. So what I'm going to do, uh, Noah, is I'll in my um, after the after you and I get done uh, talking, I'll I'm going to have all this information behind the. Um, you know, after the podcast, and I'll also include all of this stuff in the liner notes as well, so people can um, have a, an easy connection uh, with you. But man, I want to thank you so much for for being on the podcast, and uh, I, I love the work that you're doing. I appreciate um, that you're putting it out there, and I I, I just want to encourage people, especially those. A lot of my listeners are are post evangelical, so they're they're very open to ideas and and new concepts. And um, I would really like to encourage you guys that are listening. If you haven't checked Noah out yet, um, I think you'd really be encouraged. I, I think that your life would actually be uh, better uh, by just diving in to some of the teachings that Noah has to offer. Um, and the whole concept of Buddhism as a whole, um, it's really been transformational uh, for me. And I know, Noah, for you as well. I mean, um, you obviously love, uh, you know, the ideologies found within yeah. the teachings of Buddha. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, all right, Noah, uh, thank you again for being on. Um, I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. It's uh, an honor to be invited to be on another podcast so thank you for doing that absolutely now uh, Noah hang on just for a second I'm going to close the podcast out and then I'm going to come back and talk to you just for another minute or two okay Okay. Okay. So, all right, everybody, listen, I'll catch you on the other side of the uh, music and give you some more information about uh, Noah Rochetta and how to um, get in contact with him. So hang on and I'll catch you on the other side of the music. Hey, guys. Thanks so much, man, for um, hanging out on the Black Sheep experience today. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation and the things that Noah had to say. You know, it's interesting because I, I referenced a point in time when I had posted something, a quote, really, I think on Instagram, uh, something that the uh, that, that Buddha had said that really meant something to me. It, it had an impact on my life. And I got a message immediately from a friend of mine. So what does this mean? You're a Buddhist now? <laughs> you know, one of those kinds of things. Um, and that's not the case. Um, you know, I, I think that we, I think that we cheat ourselves. I think that we sell ourselves short when we close off the wisdom that others have attained or gleaned. Um, just because perhaps they operate in a different faith system than we do. I personally have found the wisdom of uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who is uh, Buddha. Um, I have found his wisdom to be life-altering. I've found it to be um, empowering. Um, yeah, I, I I really love it, as well as the things that Lao Tzu said as well. He's the author of the Tao Te Ching, um, which you've heard me talk about also. Those those two schools of philosophy or ideology have meant 
quite a lot to me, and I and I really really enjoy them. Now, what I would encourage you to do if you're interested or you'd like to dive in further, first of all, you can jump online. There's a ton of stuff uh, just through Google that you can find. Uh, secondly, uh, Noah Rochetta's book. Um, the uh, No Nonsense Buddhism for Beginners is a really good book. His website, secularbuddhism.com. Additionally, Zen Buddhism and American Buddhism both take philosophical approaches to those teachings. I bought a book called Zen for Dummies, which has, <laughs> you know, one of those kinds of things. It's really, really been great. Um, and I've enjoyed it quite a lot. Now, I have a good friend of mine, Jay, uh, who a couple of weeks ago um, gave me like a dozen or more books on the subject. And uh, so I've got like a year's worth of material to read. And some of the books have just been fascinating. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have such a good friend like that. And he just gave me all this stuff. And so there's really a lot of information out there on approaching it, not as a religion, but as a philosophy. And I think that it's very empowering. Um, and that's just great, right? So, yeah, I said that already. All right, man. Um, thanks again, guys, for hanging out. I hope that it was uh, something of value to you. And I'll catch you next week. Now, remember, jump online, man. Connect with me, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Share that stuff on all with all your friends and followers. And that's it, man. Blessings done. Blessings <laughs> done.